Good morning, Highland. Hear the word of the Lord from Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight his paths. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And the people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts with wild honey. He proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandal. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you, I am well pleased. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, for all of the new beginnings, we give you praise. For all of the folks that start a new season uh, this week and started it last week, we pray your protection and guidance, comfort, presence. Father, as we begin a new series and a new season in the life here at Highland, I pray that you continue to be our guide. Go in front of us behind us. Father, as it seems that our whole lives have been prelude up to the moment where you entered, and our lives have been changed ever since. So now, today, as we turn our minds to your word, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching, that I may speak your truth and love to these your people. And it's together that the church says, amen. Good morning, Highland. My favorite preacher, she said, sometimes the sermon sails into the auditorium, sometimes it dribbles down the pulpit. But I got to tell you the truth, nobody sits in their office writing a sermon thinking, you know what I'd like to do is bore a thousand people for 30 minutes. But sometimes it happens. I mean, not to me, but sometimes it happens. The, 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 sometimes I think what you need is a hype man. Have, you've heard of a hype man, right? Like the, the, the most, the most uh, famous hype man in, in hip-hop is... I'm totally spacing. It's not in my notes. I'm panicking. Who is the most famous hype man? Flavor Flay. Flavor Flay is the most famous hype man. You remember the guy with the uh, clock around his... Oh, man, this is going to not go well. We're moving on. <laughs> Sometimes you feel like you might want a hype man. It feels like uh, you need some help to, like, hype the crowd. That's what Flavor Flay would do. He would, he would get in before the act came on, and he would get everybody excited. And even, even if the act, even if uh, they dropped a verse, um, you know, he was like, yeah, boy, and it was good. And the, the energy just kept going. I, uh, 
standing beside me is a man who has a legacy of being a little extra on the platform, Zane. Zane, I thank you for being here. Zane's going to be my hype man. Let's get started. Shane, it's an honor, and I will not let you down. I hope not, because I've been crashing this plane since we started. I let the hype man go. For those of us meeting for the first time, it is an honor to meet you and to be part of this church in the role of preaching minister. Our family is blessed to have the opportunity to join the mission of this church. <laughs> let me translate that for you. I moved from California to Abilene. California, the place of waves, ocean, scenery, to Abilene, land of the dirt. So if you think that I'm not committed to this church and its mission, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to commit to you. I don't know if you're gonna be able to know what that looks like. And by the way, wherever that worship minister is, Jeff Nelson, you ought to know that my son Elliot has some crazy pipes and he's gonna be a worship leader one day. So you can, you can just blow on your pitch pipe and shake your shaker, but the Hughes family is here to shake things up. Now, now as I said last week, the space matters because every week is an opportunity for us to feast on the words of God. It's a space for us to prepare our hearts for the Holy Spirit and allow the Spirit to cut our hearts as we draw near to God. I've been in prayer over this fall series, and I hope you will be as well. Translation. I've had way too much time to think about this sermon series. I'm going to at least preach 45 minutes today. So you can take that lunch plan and you can throw it right out the window because I'm going to preach so hard, your ears are going to tingle. For this fall, we will be diving into the Gospel of Mark. And in a moment of creative passion, I came up with the title of this series and have decided to call it The Gospel of Mark. It's that good. I don't even need to give it a name. Did you see what the sermon art looks like? It's a winged lion. Do I have to explain everything here? Wings equal divinity. Lion equals Mark. Come on, people. Know your church history. How come you can't all be like Jeff Childers? Mark has a unique way of telling the story of Jesus. It's beautiful and layered. His writing is always doing something from story to story to paint an even bigger picture of the good news of Jesus. As Mark answers the identity question of who is Jesus, we simultaneously find the answers to what identity in Christ looks like for us. Yeah, Lauren Daigle doesn't have anything on Mark, okay? That whole song, You Say Who I Am. No, no, Mark's going to go for, who do you think I am? That's what Jesus is going to be asking. And Mark is the type of man that he's like quick, fast, wants to make the point. 16 chapters. He's not like long-worded Luke who's going to take forever. He just wants to know, are you going to the cross or not? And if we listen close enough to Mark's words, we find the love of God in dynamic and layered ways. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He's going to wreck your reckless love of God. He's going to say it's so strong that he'll get emails for the next five weeks because he believes in it. So as we go through this series together, we'll be prof uh, providing small formational nuggets for us as a church to practice together. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. No more games. No more sermon props. No more stories of homeschooling or harding. We're going to get to business here. 
I'm going to preach with the passion of Jonathan Stormont, the grace of Mike Cope, the conviction of Lynn Anderson. And just to top it off, every week you're going to get a take home that is going to be so good to your spiritual life, it's going to be like fish sauce. Everyone that you encounter is going to be wondering, what is that smell? All right, whoa, 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 whoa. I think we've got enough hype. I think we are hyped up. Is that too far? Thank you, Zane. Let's thank Zane for being our heart man. You know, if we didn't have the other Gospels, the beginning of Mark would be rather confusing, especially the identity of Jesus. Mark doesn't have a birth narrative of stories, what Jesus was like when he was a kid. Jesus just appears as a full-grown man coming to find the baptizer. In fact, the Baptist appears in the water. Why does Mark start where he starts? It's not with an angel whispering in Mary's ear or the triumph of the heavenly chorus singing the arrival of the Messiah. Mark doesn't begin in the crutch, but with the crazy, not in the manger, but the mess. Why does Mark begin in the wilderness? Who's living there anyway that John is preaching to? Most of the sidewalk prophets that I've come across, they, they camp out in front of stadiums and busy street corners with bill, uh, uh, bullhorns and sandwich boards. Uh, they're not the empty wastes. I spend more of my time trying to avoid them than the other way around. Why does Mark begin with John in the wilderness? Maybe that's because John knows something about opportunity cost. It's kind of this psychological phenomenon that... When something takes effort, when something costs you, it's more, it's more valuable than it would be if it was, it was free. And so maybe the baptizer begins out so that people have to come and find him. But maybe he just wants to separate himself from the system and the corruption and the familiarity of the Jerusalem system. He wants to create a word that's outside of what everyone has already heard. Or maybe he's in the desert because he's waiting, waiting for someone else to come. One of the questions that we have to ask is, who is this book written to? Because the reality is, this is good news, but it's also bad news. Mark, more than any other gospel, is going to force you to ask the question, who do I believe Jesus is? And based on that belief, what does that call me to change in my life? This book is all about identity, Jesus' identity and ours. Mark begins with a wild-haired, potentially crazy named John. He eats locusts dipped in honey, which sounds gross until you think about what you ate at your last crawfish boil. John's ministry is powerful. He only has one sermon. It only has two points. John is predicted by Isaiah. He's dressed exactly like Elijah. He's speaking God's word to Israel, calling them to repent. And the most phenomenal thing, despite his most outlandish claim, is he is exactly what Israel wants. His one sermon begins with repentance, baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Now, repentance baptism isn't anything new in the first century Jewish culture. This was something that was understood. 
Christianity takes that idea and, and like a seed and plants a whole new tree from it. But this isn't anything new. It was a ritual you performed when you wanted to mark a significant and life-altering moment in your story. I think something similar in our time might be a tattoo. It's when you wanted to put a pen in a moment to remember, this is when my life changed. Baptism signified more than just a sense that an angry God was no longer out to kill you anymore, but your baptism was an admittance into a new way of thinking about the world, about God, about ourselves. Everything up to this moment is prologue. It's, it's the promise of something new, to come clean in the waters of Jordan, the Jordan, to stop pretending you're something you're not, to stop lying to yourself and everyone else. He, repented, he preaches repentance and that he's not the one. And so Mark uses two texts to shape the ministry of this wild prophet. First is in Isaiah 40, chapter 3, but I want us to, uh, excuse me, chapter 40, verse 3, but I want to look at kind of the context around that verse. Comfort, O oh comfort, my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all the people shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now the historical context of Isaiah chapter 40 is, is the return from exile. It's the return of the people from Babylon. There's, there's two times in Israelite history where they get to come home, they get to return. The first is Egypt and the second is Babylon. And these aren't the same. These are two very different occurrences that happen. Egypt occurs because Joseph is, needs to save his family. God tells him and, and, and helps him to realize there's gonna be a seven-year famine in Egypt. It's gonna destroy the entire world. Most civilizations, in fact, most families can survive one year of famine. There's enough stored up. There's enough to last. You can, you can make it through one bad season. Two or three seasons of famine, you've eaten everything and you've sold all of your valuables. You're eating shoe leather and just trying to survive. By the fourth or fifth year of famine, you've sold your children and yourself into slavery. The sixth or seventh year of famine in a row... It destroys civilizations. It levels them out. But God in his promise saves the world through Joseph. Joseph's able to save his brothers. But there grows later in Egypt a Pharaoh who doesn't know what Joseph did, and all of the Hebrew people are enslaved to be workers to build the monuments in that country. Egypt is what happens it's random chance. It's like the time that you were rear-ended and it messed up your back for like three or four years. It's not because you did something wrong. It's just it happens to you. The pain is other-inflicted. It's a pain that's not really your responsibility, but you just kind of have to bear it until God pulls you out. Babylon is a different story. God sent prophet after prophet after prophet 
to call his people back, but they wouldn't listen. And at the end of it, God has no choice, and he just lets them go, gives them what they want, and they're taken into exile. But that's not the end of the story, because the end of the story in Isaiah 40 says, God says, I'm going to bring you home. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to make you a people again. So make straight the road, because I'm coming to get you. Babylon is pain that's self-inflicted. You know why you're suffering. You caused it. Where is your self-inflicted hurt? It's in that pain that God says there is still hope. I'm going to make a straight path. When I was a kid, both of my grandparents' sets lived in Indiana. My, my mother's mom lived in southern Indiana in a very rural place. There was just kind of one two-lane road uh, to get to her house. And I, that was my favorite part of any vacation that we took as a family because this road was very hilly and had these little tiny narrow hills. And I don't know how my dad did this. I still wish I could do this. He knew how to like accelerate up the hill and then break down the hill that it would make your stomach feel like you're in a roller coaster. It would tickle. I love the, the 30 minutes on that road to get to my grandmother's house. It was one of my favorite things. Well, sure enough, eventually, the Indiana Highway Department decided that the, all these little hills and sharp turns were dangerous. And so they began to level them out. And it didn't take us 30 minutes to get to my grandmother's house anymore. It only took us like 12. Because all the hills had been made straight. In the ancient Near East or the ancient uh, world, you know, the, uh, the emperor would send out an advance guard to clear the way. He would send out a, a, a platoon of soldiers to make sure that every uh, tree branch or, or maybe there was a trunk that had fallen down would be moved out of the road, also to see if there's any brigands or villains in the way to clear them out as they go. It was a few years ago, uh, I was with Natalie. She had had a conference in uh, Washington, D.C., and I just came along and it was going to be a tourist. And so I spent my days just kind of wandering around the city. And I just happened to be at an intersection where about 30 uh, police motorcycles shoot by, and some of them stay, and, and they block the intersection. So I think, oh, something's going on. So I just kind of pay attention to see what happens. And they had blocked two sides of, of the intersection, and then I see the, uh, the caravan coming down, the motorcade. And there's a couple of, there's a lot more uh, police uh, motorcycles, and then there's some SUVs, there's an EMT vehicle, and there's, there's some really big black SUVs. It's kind of exciting when you see one of those go down. And I, I don't know who was, who was the important person in that car, uh, but I do know that while I was staying on the corner, uh, there was a bicyclist coming up the other street. And he had his headphones in. He wasn't really paying attention as he's coming up, uh, as the motorcade is coming down the hill. But the police begin to see him, and they're yelling at him, get over, get to the side, get off the street. And I realize that guy doesn't hear them. He's not paying attention. And the police are getting more and more nervous as the motorcade gets closer and closer. And I'm thinking to myself, this guy's going to get shot. And sure enough, in the last minute, he kind of notices what's going on. He falls off of his bike to get out of the way fast enough, and the motorcade zips by, and then the intersection turns back to normal in like 30 seconds. 
God is preparing a way. It's a straight path. He is sending a vanguard to make it straight and easy for him. But the beauty of John's sermon is the most important place that he's going is is to you. John knows that there's going to be a day of the Lord in Malachi chapter 3. The context is 1 through 6. See, I am sending my messenger to pay the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger will be the covenant in whom you delight. Indeed, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the descendants of Levi and refine them like gold and silver until they present offerings to the Lord in righteousness. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift to bear witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who fare, uh, swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired, hand, uh, hired workers and their wages, the widow and the orphan, against those who thrust aside the alien. Do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. The day of the Lord is going to be like a refiner's fire, like a launderer's soap. It is going to be caustic and it's going to burn. But that's... That's what it takes. But it's not going to be bad for everyone because there are some of us who hunger to see things set right, to see justice in the streets and in the courts and in our midst. So there in the wilderness, outside of the religious, political, and social systems of his day, knee-deep in the Jordan River, hoarse from shouting to the crowd gathered there, stands the baptizer. The baptizer, he is hope for a lot of people. But he himself knows deep down he is just the warm-up act for a greater thing that is coming. What he longs for is God. But when John looks over the hill and sees God coming, it isn't what you'd expect God to look like. The figure looks like a man. In fact, John knows him. It's his cousin. His name is Yeshua. We call him Jesus. In Mark, there's no conversation about who should be baptizing who or who is worthy and who isn't or who must increase and who must decrease. There's just the sloshing sound as the wild Baptist plunges his cousin beneath the water. But then there's another sound. It's something else. It's something new. It's the sound of heaven being ripped open and the spirit descending like a dove and a voice saying that you are my son, my loved son. I am so pleased. And suddenly it all becomes clear. Isaiah, Malachi, they weren't talking about the return from Babylon, the the twisted roads between there and Jerusalem. They were talking about Jesus, about this moment, about the future of Israel, but they were also talking about you and me. All of us probably feel more comfortable with the rabbis and the priests of the system of Jerusalem than with the wild-haired prophet in the wilderness. After all, it's just much easier to stay at home Watch a little TV. Go to bed early. 
But John is out there because we should be out there. God calls us to make straight paths in our hearts. Jesus' message is simple. Repent and join the kingdom. Clean up, come clean about yourself and about your life. You're going to find that when you come clean, it's easier, it's better, because you can acknowledge for who you really are, and that's what we all want, isn't it? To be known. But it's easy to make your relationship about God and the system, the church, the religious habits and culture of the day. Yet the baptizer calls us out into the wilderness along a road that no one has traveled for years and looked for the Messiah to keep our eyes trained on the horizon because Jesus is coming and he is going to change everything. If you have a bulletin with you, I want to direct you to a a practice we're going to engage in for the next uh, several months of this series. At the bottom of the bulletin, there's a little tear-off section on one side. I'd love for you to write your name and your email address down. But more importantly, turn it over to the back side. For the next uh, few months, what we're going to do as a, as a congregation is to engage in some spiritual disciplines, some spiritual practices. Now, there's no magic to doing spiritual disciplines like prayer, fasting, silence, worship and community. There's no magic to that, but what it does do is it puts you in a posture where you can hear from God more clearly. It just allows you to listen to God more fully. And so every week, there's going to be an opportunity for you to commit to engage in some spiritual disciplines. And you can choose to engage, or you don't have to if you don't want to, but we as a community are going to try this on for a little bit. If you look at them with me, there's, there's a couple of options there. One is to make straight paths in my heart. What I want you to do this week is to consider doing is, is read this, this text that we looked at in the sermon today, Mark chapter 1, 1 through uh, 10. If you want to get aggressive, you can read the whole first chapter of Mark. If you want to get incredible, now you don't earn extra credit points in heaven, but it's just good for you. Read the entire book of Mark. It's pretty short. You can read it in one setting in about an hour or 90 minutes. But spend some time this week in dedicated reflection and listening to what God says. The second one is, is a little bit more difficult, and it's going to ask you to do something else. Because God has made a way for us to him, we make ways to one another. And part of that is reconciliation. And so engage in the practice of reconciliation. If you've hurt someone's feelings, if you've done someone wrong, go and seek forgiveness. If you've been injured by somebody else from something that they did, offer forgiveness. Engage in that practice of reconciliation and try to mend a relationship. Find God's peace with someone else. The last commitment is the one that Zane mentioned earlier. Uh, part of us finding God is finding community in one another. We can't know God until we are known by each other. And so if you want to jump into one of the groups, the, the huddle groups for middle and high school students, the dig groups for our college students, or for a Restore Highland group for all of us adults, click that box, and, and someone is going to follow up with you in the next couple of days, and uh, we're going to give you information about how you can, you can plug in. All you have to do is, uh, in just a moment, we're going to be dismissed. Uh, take this bulletin and tear that piece off, and you can drop it in the baskets as you leave, and someone's going to be in touch with you uh, either tomorrow or the day after. Now, you may ask yourself the question, 
If, how do I remember what I'm committing to if I give this in the bucket? We're going to send you information and resources as long as your name and email are on the back of it. Does that make sense? Okay, so put those in the buckets on your way out. Would you stand for our benediction? The God who calls is the God who does not abandon you. And if you've experienced like I've experienced the power of Christ in your life, there is a prequel to everything you've done and then the story ever since. And God's story is going to continue in you forever. So this week, may you go with the boldness of Christ. May you be filled with the courage of his spirit and go in peace.